0: Hello listeners, welcome to the next session.
1: An advice podcast for game masters seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns.
0: And I'm Alyssa Johns. Here we are. Here,
1: welcome back. We're in, we're in your ears. Are so, we? That's, what, that's where we live.
0: My, uh, we're babblefish
1: we're, ti- we're tiny little people living in your ears. It's creepy. You should Don't think about here. it too much.
0: I feel like we've done this before.
1: It's really echoey! <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> With have we done this? We've probably done this bit before. I
0: think with near 100 episodes, we're, we're, we're going to. We're
1: running out of ideas.
0: Yeah. Sorry, yeah. guys.
1: I'm <laughs> just, just going to have to gotta keep it fresh. I'm Adam like a, Jones. Like a, like ooh, a ooh, lion. Ooh. Yeah. I'm Melissa Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Coming at you.
0: An advice podcast for <laughs> game bastards. <laughs>
1: That's not what I sound like. sounds so boring. I should I should do it that way. An advice podcast for game masters seeking help with their next game session.
0: What your um? Is it Ben Stein? You're Ben Stein. <laughs> <It's> ben
1: Stein. <laughs>
0: Win Ben Stein's money.
1: Yeah. Win Ben Stein's D and D ideas.
0: Well, there you go. Actually, <laughs> I wonder how many D and ID- D ideas he would have.
1: I'll bet Ben Stein would have a lot of D and D ideas. Actually, at least one. At least one. Yeah. Probably. Play something else. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, but if you're not going to play something else, you might need help with your next session.
1: Yeah, follow our advice instead of Ben Stein's advice.
0: (laughs) And this next session help comes from Brown6214.
1: Ah, That's a lot of browns.
0: Maybe it's a specific brown color code.
1: Oh, it's like a hex code or something. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think that hex code results in brown, but possibly. Maybe it's a tan or something like a light, like a light brown
0: like a beige. Yeah. Are you calling brown 6214
1: boring? No.
0: Maybe it's their address.
1: Maybe it's their Oh, there you go. It's a brown stone.
0: Oh, actually, okay, here we go. Hex color number 9E6214 is golden brown.
1: Golden brown. Golden brown. That's great. So there you go. All right. Wow. You, I think I think you nailed it on the on the number there. <laughs> I, think I did.
0: So golden brown That's says. That's so perfect. Um, advice for empowering a player who literally can't speak i have been prepping to run the sunless citadel from t-o-t-y-p
1: uh tales of the yawning portal wow yeah you, how, how? it did take me a sec <laughs> yawning portal yeah tales of the yawning portal.
0: like the portal is asleep
1: like the portal is open it is a yawning portal Therefore, it's it's an open portal.
0: They should cover their mouth when they yawn so they don't let flies in.
1: (laughs) Or out, as the case may be, in the the yawning portal.
0: (laughs) All right. I have been preparing to run the Sunless Citadel from Tales of the Yawning Portal for a group of new players. But last week, one of my friends, who was particularly excited to play, got in a serious accident. Among other injuries, their jaw had to be sewn shut, and they will be unable to speak for a month or two. If possible, I would like to still include this player in the game as I know that they've been sad and lonely since the accident and would benefit from spending time with our friend group. Do you have any advice on how I could enable this player who can't speak to still play in the scenario? I have told them about Kenku and they seem excited at the prospect of playing a speechless race. However, I still anticipate that there may be difficulties to overcome with describing their actions and stating their attacks. Our session zero is going to be this coming Monday night and will include a miniature dungeon to introduce the party to the mechanics of exploration, skill checks, and combat. I like that idea. Ideally, I want to try and prepare with friends for some of the workarounds ahead of time. Thanks for any advice you may have.
1: Well, um, good on you, Brown, for making sure to try to include your friend. That sounds like a horrible accident, and and I'll bet they do feel lonely, and I'll bet... Getting to play some games probably would be really meaningful for them.
0: Yeah. Th- this is why you're the golden brown.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. That being said, I have run games with players who don't speak on a few occasions in the past. One of the... Um, like choose not to speak. I've, I've run games with players who are selectively mute mm. or uh, with players who are deaf in the past. Um it doesn't it hasn't come up that often, but we've we found workarounds for for many of those things. Um well, we don't talk about this that much, but Alyssa and I are both slightly fluent in sign language. A little bit fluent in sign language. L- a little a little, a little bit. Um and so I've been able to use sign language for somebody who is deaf. But this situation is unique both in that um, you know, it's a player who who can hear and can and can engage and understand everything that's going on. Um, but won't be able to speak themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and that it's temporary. So it's not something that you need a solution for that will last several months that they could go on for for a really, really long time necessarily. I would imagine that probably, you know, this is a a month or two of recovery, which might be in a few sessions Mm -hmm. um, uh, over the course of that time. And probably then they would be able to jump right back in and, and speak as their character.
0: It also, it sounds like you might be playing in person, it's hard to tell from That'd be, the question if it's in person or if it's over like Zoom where you might be able to have a chat window mm-hmm. happening at the same time.
1: Now, that is a great solution even if it's in person. Um, having a chat window open. I believe that Windows, and I think this is true for Mac also, um, uh, you can download or, or have built in you know, a text-to-speech program. So you could either just have them type stuff into you know a text document and have somebody sitting next to them who's ready to to read aloud what what it is that they want to say, or you could just have you could literally have it text to speech and 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 when they, you know they can type what they want and then hit enter, and then it will read off whatever it is that they type. and And then, as a group, just being patient uh, and and willing to to wait, you see them typing, okay, we'll wait, we'll wait a second and and give them the space to be able to respond. And not constantly talking over top of them, uh, as they're you know asking question after question while they're still trying to respond to the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that can be a great a great way to do that. Um, you can also develop quite a bit of shorthand. Um, you know, a fair amount of of D is described in the actions and skills that you do, and if you have a um, you know a printed out piece of paper that has say all the skills listed. Um, and a couple of the most most main actions that you would do, I attack, you know, um, uh, I want to do this, you can get through quite a lot of combat in D&D by just doing those, and quite a lot of non-combat, too, by saying, like, pointing at perception, like, oh, okay, you want to look around? And then, you know, use yes and no to sort of confirm what it is that, that they're requesting.
0: You could even have minis or a little dice representing, and they can, like, move onto those squares, essentially. Right. or. Yeah. Cards you could have printed out as well. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was thinking about is there are several apps you can get on your phone where you can record different um, phrases or or whatever, or mm-hmm. have those pre-done, and they might be able to push a button and have one of their friends who already recorded. I attack them or a rock across. <laughs> sure. <would> say. Yeah. <laughs> you know. A rock a like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, for those who can't watch, because you know this is a podcast, I have a button that does that, so I can just keep I can keep doing that I can talk right over top of it. <laughs>
0: that was for one of his. Uh, um, that
1: was for a uh, live stream game. Yeah, that Twitch game. About. Um. So. So yes, you could totally have you know a soundboard app or something like that. Um. I also think you know some of these are are a little bit more high tech answers. You can get really far with just a whiteboard and a dry erase, you know, a little handheld whiteboard and a little dry erase marker, um, which you can get for uh, 10 bucks or something, maybe less than 10 bucks online. Uh, and that can go really, really far, especially if, um, you know, they they their injuries are really limited to to this jaw injury, and they're not necessarily on any heavy medication for it, which is something that's maybe worthwhile to talk about in this particular scenario, um, because usually somebody whose jaw is wired shut is also going to be on some maybe heavy pain medication, and it may be something to consider in the decision-making idea of how to engage them best in the game.
0: Well, it could just be a matter of scheduling the game um, around certain treatments that need to happen right? or whatever. I was also thinking, like, Ugh, how much would it suck if you're like, Oh, pass the chips? Oh, never oh, sorry. No, yeah. you can't have any. You know, you want to be sensitive about that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And you know, it doesn't mean that you don't have those things, but it might mean providing an option for your for your friend if they're coming over and and you're like, Hey, can I can I stock anything for you? Some some Gatorade or or juices or a smoothie or something like that. Um, or, you know, there's making sure that they know, Hey, we're going to order pizza. and I know you can't eat the pizza right now, uh, but everybody else is hungry. Um, but I want to make sure that we have something that, that you can enjoy as well. Yeah. Maybe, um, so what, like what some could pudding. that be? Yeah. I don't know. Um, as well as, and, and my thought around the medication thing would be, you know, maybe they, they might not be able to play for, for three hours or whatever. Some, some people's games go for a really, really long time. And you may want to consider truncating the game or providing a lot of breaks, um, to allow for for the possibility that that maybe that's a lot of stamina for being engaged in, in that kind of thing. Absolutely. But I'm speculating about their condition, you know. that's that could be a lot. Of, could go a lot of different ways. Um I I think those would probably be all most of my ideas for this. I I would totally welcome this player also to to give their input on how they would like to play. Mm-hmm. Um, one possibility, of course, is they could play a character that doesn't talk um and and obviously, then the character can kind of reflect their own condition to some extent, which means that they don't have to speak in character or attempt to speak in character in any kind of way. um and and they still will have to communicate you know the actions they want to do and the stuff that's going on. But that may be a fun role play way to incorporate the 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 real life things, the challenges that are going on into the into the game. Um, in a way that, that makes that a little easier. But since this is a temporary condition, they may not wanna do that Right. with the idea that like, hey, in another two weeks, I'm this is gonna be done and I'm gonna be um, ready to speak again and I wanna be able to have my, my character have a voice at that point.
0: I was thinking about like, you could play, you could have them play a construct and use that text to speech as their voice, oh, as the construct's voice. That's pretty fun. And then yeah. when they recover enough and can, you know, describe their own actions, they might still want to use that as their character's voice later.
1: That's true. Or they could try to emulate the voice themselves at that at yeah. that later point. Yeah. Talk like a robot or whatever.
0: Talk like a robot.
1: Um Yeah. That's super fun. Brown, um, I'm Golden Brown. Uh I'm very, very glad that you're working to include your friend. Um Keep in mind that even if a role-playing game is too much to try to figure out or it's not going to work out because of schedule stuff, going in and just playing any board game with mm-hmm. your friend may, may mean a lot. I mean, that might be really wonderful. And there are, there are a lot of board games you can play more or less silently, um, uh, just reading instructions and, and following through with what you want to do. Absolutely. So so I'm I'm all for you know taking the steps to to include somebody in a role playing game uh, as as all the listeners know I'm a fan of role playing games in general <laughs> um, but I'll go so far as to say that like this is a great circumstance to say if that's too much for them if that's too much for the group to try to take on don't let that deter you from being being engaged with your friend and supportive in the time that they need you
0: absolutely all right we're going to move on to weaver co
1: weaver co it's it's the company of weavers
0: what is a weaver?
1: A w- uh, Someone who weaves things? Yeah. they weevil, but they don't fall down.
0: <laughs> I was thinking about the wheelies from that um,
1: <laughs>
0: Wizards of Oz sequel that's like freaking scary.
1: Oh, oh, what was that Wizards of Oz? It was Return to Return Oz. Return to Oz or whatever so with, the wheel- with the giant legs. And there and- was
0: Jack the Pumpkin yeah, head Yeah, that guy. was scary. There was a moose bust that ended up being a magical flying couch Carousel or something. Yeah.
1: I have very, very vague Police. memories of that that whole thing. I remember those wheelies being really terrifying. So,
0: so terrifying. And TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. So terrifying. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, you are not that. You are Weaver Coat. <laughs> okay. That's unrelated. Right.
1: Unrelated to this unrelated. name. <laughs>
0: Adam, I have to tell you, this question is primarily focused for you. Oh, okay. Because you literally wrote the book about this question. Oh. There you go. Okay. You I was going
1: to make a joke about a book, that, but, and then I was going to make a joke about a book I didn't write. <laughs> but, but then I was like, I'll bet somebody has written whatever joke, whatever book I come up with. So yeah, there you go. I didn't make that joke.
0: All right. Dad DM, writing content for play therapy, ah. and I need help. Oh, yeah. There you go. Hello. I am a dad of two girls. Mom and I started D&D as a form of play therapy to help teach and reinforce skills that my youngest is learning in therapy. We started and finished running LMOP.
1: Uh, Lost mine of Fandelier. Thank you. Fandelier? I thought it was Fandelier. Fandelier? I think that's right.
0: It's like Chandelier. I
1: I always read it. I never say it out loud. (laughs) It's like
0: Chandelier.
1: Chandelier? Fandelier? -fandelier. Pafandelier. Pafandelier. (laughs) Pafandelier. And
0: and now it has continued into a total homebrew hybrid of our own content outlined with
1: TOD. Tyranny of Dragons? (laughs) I we, think. I guess.
0: We are also using the critical core teaching format to help push hey. the lessons we are teaching. Hey. I know that game. There it is. <laughs> My youngest six, who the play therapy is for, plays a life cleric, enjoys combat encounters, and sometimes struggles with puzzles. She gets very bad at anxiety under time performance pressure. My oldest, Seven, plays a Drake Warden, loves puzzles, especially math and cryptography. Her favorite is fighting goblins and orcs, just like the ones uh, in Lord of the Rings. With her cat, Drake, and dragon bow, she has was able to harvest from Venomfang. They both get heavily evolved in role play, and the fact it has become a major part of every session. We start each session with a briefing, but Mom and I do not share the lesson to be learned. In fact, the kids are ignorant of our use of D&D for this purpose. We end with an after action that usually includes some open-ended questions to drive discussion about what happened and what we learned. We have been having good success, but I'm stuck on a couple lessons we wanna work on, just total writer's block. The first thing we're trying to reinforce is respect for other people's boundaries. I'm struggling to craft either a role play, puzzle, or something that the lesson we learn after is of the importance of respecting our own boundaries as well as those of others. The second lesson is respect. We have touched on it with how they speak to NPCs and such, as well as in our occasional encounters with aspects of Bahamut, though they don't know th- who these people are yet. Maybe we're trying too hard? Not sure, but any help w- with some fun ideas would be amazing. As far as encounters go, we're probably at PG-13 level. They're okay with Lord of the Rings-style action. Mm. Okay. So how how would you do play th- play D&D therapy to reinforce respect for other people's boundaries?
1: So... So a lot of the foundation of the work of using D&D as a play therapy model is in the idea that the simulated environment that you are creating um, has all of these opportunities for your control as a game master to then set up and reinforce the lessons learned. So basically like, the the things your character experiences, even though they are simulated, imagined things, are real takeaways for skills that you can develop. Now, the reason why that's important in this case is that it sounds like, uh, Weaver Co., the, the particular lessons in which you are trying to deliver are really based in some specific scenarios that maybe you have seen them go through in other parts of their life, Right. You're talking about setting boundaries and, and things like that. And I'd be curious what kind of boundaries you have seen them set uh, or, or fail to set in other parts of their lives or boundaries that they have crossed over, you know, maybe not understanding this, the social impact of, of crossing over those boundaries. Um, and I might not pull directly from that experience, but I would use those as the guide for where are they struggling? Because it may not be boundaries as a whole, but but it sounds like you probably have a much more specific idea of that. Now, that being said, uh, there are some great techniques here that you can use for help crafting these puzzles. Both of the puzzles that you're talking about are almost definitely puzzles that are going to need to be social encounters. Um, you're talking about setting social boundaries um, with other people. That means you're going to need, need to have NPCs that need to be uh, convinced or swayed or... Or uh, brought along to to help in some way, and that you want to use uh, the idea of demonstrating respect and the idea of setting boundaries both in both of those cases. So I would probably have, in, in the case of the boundaries NPC, I would create an NPC that doesn't know how to hold maintain, hold and maintain those boundaries, and in fact goes even further than the players might normally go right. in crossing over people's boundaries, so that
0: they can teach them. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to do that, and right. here's why.
1: Right. Um, and, and uh, you know, that's this should be an NPC whose goal maybe will require them to have better boundaries. Maybe it's an NPC who's going to meet a, a member of the royalty, and they're very nervous about how to interact with, with members of the royal family, but it's really, really important for their business deal or, or whatever their mission is, and the players have the opportunity to help them. And so, you know, this player uh, comes up and, and speaks right next to the other players, like right in their face. Uh, and space they, invader. Right, is sort of a space invader and uh, and starts asking questions that are too personal and, uh, and starts, you know, um, uh, trying to uh, uh, do things for other people that, that they shouldn't have to have to do. They're trying to like serve all the food and also do do all the do all the you know um, uh, do all the commands that the that the king is trying to do. And the players have to have to in- basically coach this NPC on no 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 don't stand that close. That's that makes people uncomfortable. And then you can have this this NPC basically be not knowing. You can have them go what. That makes people uncomfortable when I stand so close, and they go, "Yeah, people don't, you know, that's that's way too close." Um, and now you can really use that that NPC. You, the players get to be the knowledgeable ones, the NPC gets to be the 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 one receiving that lesson. So that that is often a great route to go.
0: I was thinking maybe some sort of like Aladdin's cave or the Cave of Wonders type of situation where there is a temptation they're not supposed to um cross, they're not supposed to grab, they're not or you know, maybe the same thing. There's an NPC that they need to escort through this cave and that person is trying to to you know, there's this boundary in place. Like you can you can look at anything but just don't touch XYZ. Don't touch this thing.
1: But yeah, potentially. Depending on what, you know, this is this is what I was mentioning earlier. What 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 kind of boundaries right. exactly is, is this it a- that they're
0: is this a like physical my body right, you need or is it a difficulty following
1: rules, or is it a difficulty
0: with personal property, which right. would be the Aladdin's cave yeah. sort of situation? Yeah, exactly.
1: And, and you know that that's a that's a great idea. If that's the space where they are struggling, is is you know personal property and stuff like that. That's a perfect way to set that up. And and I would say that like um, that's where you really want to be thinking about. This isn't just the broad category of of what is the specific area in which they need to work on stuff, but is responding very specifically to each of their challenges. Um, and this is also where you want to think about, you know, the six-year-old and the seven-year-old, um, as I'm sure you're already doing, um, Weaver Co., but thinking about them separately in their own individual challenges, too. Right. Um, because, you know, the six-year-old, in the example that we we did with the Aladdin's cave, you know, the six-year-old might not uh, stop the Aladdin character from running in as as, as strongly as the seven-year-old right. would. And so, you know, the six-year-old might say the Aladdin character, instead of, like, running in and waiting for them to stop them, might go, I think I want to go touch that thing. Do you think that's a good idea? Like, like now running it past the six-year-old and giving him a chance to respond to it. And and that's where you want to be very individual about, about where is the learning curve or where is the the scaffolding to support them to get them to, like, Understanding their next their their next level of learning, not just the broad, you know, group as a whole. Um, the the respect one. I mean, I would do a similar approach. This is maybe a great opportunity to have somebody who's going to teach them something powerful. Um, you think like a uh, like a um a wizard master or grand
0: mage. Yeah,
1: and you can have the the grand mage be be like a little rude um, and a little bit. Um, maybe uh, demanding of them, but he can say like, I, I will only teach you if you can demonstrate me true respect. Um, and you can have the the opportunity to be like, what what does that even mean? And the grandmaster can maybe I- instruct them directly, or can can say like, you have to show it to me. I don't, I I'm not here to tell you that you have to have that already. Um, and then be very forgiving. In, in a lot of senses. So, so they bow and he goes, that's not deep enough. You're not bowing deep enough. <laughs> or, they, or they, you know, uh, what what do you do? How did your character show respect? What would someone do to show respect to a grandmaster? And now you're literally having the conversation with them mm-hmm. about what respect means. What does it mean to demonstrate respect to somebody else? By, through the, through the, the veil and the guise of, because your character now has to do it, And what does that even look like?
0: I have such a hard time with that because it's hard to teach what respect is because a lot of times there are authority figures who demand Uh, respect
1: from people. The demand respect. Yeah.
0: And and that is is a hard thing to talk about with a young child. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we want our daughter to show respect to her teacher by listening being quiet when their teacher is talking that you know, following the rules. Mm-hmm. But like, how would you say you are giving res- you know, you have to give respect, you have to earn yeah, respect. This to, like
1: what does respect even mean? What does that even mean? This yeah. is a
0: hard lesson and I I applaud your use of role playing games to get across what you want to teach on it.
1: Um I I would say that that um respect may be a lesson That is something that you have more built into a lot of the interactions and just having ongoing interactions rather than specifically a single puzzle. Right. And I might say that that might be true of boundaries as well. Um, Just providing, you know, NPC after NPC for them to interact with in all sorts of different ways and allowing that to be fun while at the same time being an opportunity to, to have those NPCs be very forgiving of these challenges, so the NPC doesn't give up when the players, you know, aren't very respectful. But instead, every NPC is willing to to respond and say, um, "Boy, that was kind of a rude thing that you said to me there. That doesn't show me that you appreciate very much my knowledge and my and my experience in this matter." Like um, every NPC is is willing to to provide kind of direct feedback mm. of of like. Um, but I'll wait, and you can try again if you like. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like you know they aren't going they aren't going to give up, and they're they're fully happy to to, you know, provide more opportunities. There's also a technique that I love to do um whenever I'm trying to demonstrate these kinds of more subtle social cue things um where players say what they what it is that they want to um, say or what whatever it is their their character is going to say. And then I describe for them the likely outcome of the approach they're taking, and that that's a perfect opportunity to say, "I'm not going to make you commit to this thing that you're suggesting." Ah, what it, what it seems like is you're going to try to in, insult the shopkeeper with the hopes that he'll give you a better a better price on this sword. Um, probably. So so does that sound like that's what you're trying to do? Perfect. Okay. So if you do that here's probably how the shopkeeper is going to respond to you. Is that, I don't think that gets you where you want. Do you think you might try a different approach or a different technique for that? And that kind of um, opportunity to suggest things without it being punishing yeah, is really, really valuable in in encouraging a lot of other approaches so they're not just trying the same approach again and again.
0: That's kind of like saving before a big boss fight.
1: Right. And I have absolutely let players take those choices back, especially when it comes to to this kind of social interaction stuff, where I let them make the choice, and then I also go. Um, I don't think that turned out quite how you wanted. Did you Did you want to go back? We want to rewind that a little bit and try that again, because I sp- I feel like especially for um, social stuff, and especially when it's when it's something that we're hoping to pass along as a lesson, I don't want to commit them to. To the um, oh, you failed at this thing, and you're just gonna have to wait until next time to try again, um, is not always the right the right choice. Um, so I'm all for you know I commit my my players. You made a choice. I wanna I wanna follow through with the consequences of that choice. But it's also okay for the players to know what the consequence uh, was of the choice, and then still get to make another con- or, You know another choice anyway. Right. Um, I think that can be really valuable. Well, without knowing the specifics of, I mean, more specifics of this of this particular situation, it might be kind of the limit of what I can, what we can offer on this one, Weaverco. Although, if you do want to get some more specific answers, I encourage you to to shoot us a message and 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 maybe we can have you on, or we can, oh, yeah. or we can chat with you more, or you can you can send us some more specifics about about what you're hoping to get out of those lessons and stuff like that. I love this stuff. I mean. I think the value of a role-playing game as an opportunity to learn and grow, not just for kids and not just intentionally therapeutic, but certainly that, um, but for everybody who plays the game is just so tremendously valuable and, and provides just endless opportunity to, to find the little places where I get to learn something about myself in the, in the play of the game. So yeah. so I always love speculating on this stuff. Well,
0: I'm excited. We have not yet introduced our daughter to role-playing games
1: uh, it's true um she's just about there I'm, i think um, i've been, i've been waiting a little bit for her to learn how to read just a little more she doesn't re- need to be super fluent but but if she could learn how to read just a little more then i think that'd be good uh or, and or we might uh use Randall Hampton's game uh that's coming out that he he put on kickstarter to, oh yeah is uh, that out uh i'm in the i'm in the pre beta test or something I, I think it hasn't officially been released yet but
0: it's not on kickstarter yet
1: it is on Kickstarter. It's, it, w- it was already kickstarted and and backed and everything like that um, and now it is he's just um, working on them finishing the materials to before print goes out.
0: And good on you for using Critical core.
1: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: Let's take a break. Okay, dokie. Break time.
1: And we're back. Hey, we're back. Hey, it's back time. Great, great to be back. Great it's to be a, a back? It's back time. It's time to go back in time.
0: Oh. oh I, I was, was going to sing the
1: song. We're hey, back yeah. in time. Get it, we're back in time. 80 miles an hour, baby. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> that's plenty today, of that.
0: Today's Ask a DM comes from Supple Ghost.
1: Supple Ghost. The Ooh, term... This is a very it's sort of um it's sort of disturbing actually. Yeah, it's the sort term of like supple supple as applied is, to ghosts.
0: Is not applied to many things, and the things it is applied to are vaguely of the not safe for work variety.
1: Yeah, maybe this is one of those ghosts. Wow. Yeah. Just All a, right. Just a real sexy ghost. <laughs>
0: um soup play Ghost Super says <laughs> Can you cast a level spell and an innate spell as a bonus action? So, I have a player who is a druid. This has been a topic of discussion, and I can't find a rule for it. They will often cast something like Cure Wounds as a leveled spell, then use the innate spell they have from the fey-touched feet to bonus action Misty Step out of dodge. I say it's not allowed, but they keep insisting it is, and despite my best efforts, I can't find anything on it. Does it still subscribe to the rule where you can't cast two leveled spells at the same time?
1: Uh, this is an interesting question, and it gets into a deeper question that has to do with the nature of magic in D&D and what constitutes uh, magical casting versus innate spell stuff. Um to answer the specifics of this question, um, whenever you have an innate spell that is something like Fae Touched, and the, the, the wording of Fae Touched is you learn the Misty Step spell and one first level spell of your choice. The first level spell must be from the divination or enchantment school of magic. You can cast each of these spells without expending a spell slot. Once you cast each, either of these spells in this way, you can't cast that spell this way again until you finish a long rest. You can also cast these spells using spell slots if you have the appropriate level. Um, it says nothing about the spell being an innate ability. It is very, very clearly you casting a spell. It just happens to be the case that they don't use up a spell slot when you when you cast this spell. But all other functions of casting the spell are exactly the same as casting a spell, which means that you are definitely casting a spell, and therefore you cannot use Misty Step as a bonus action after casting a regular spell.
0: So you don't get a freebie on this one.
1: Yeah. And for those who, who might be unaware, there is a rule in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons that you cannot cast two spells in a turn. Um, you can cast one spell and one cantrip can. if if it happens to align up with your action and bonus action and etc. Um, so if you, if you cast a spell, even if you use you know, haste or you use some way to gain another action, uh, you cannot cast another spell that turn. It can only be a cantrip.
0: Okay, so innate casting is still a spell.
1: Correct. However, it does raise an interesting question of other things that are similar to casting a spell, such as wild shape. Very clearly a magical ability, and it takes your action to use your wild shape. Um, So obviously you cannot, once you wild shape, then cast Misty Step. um, But there's all sorts of other similar innate abilities that exist in the game that seem to be magical in nature but are not specifically casting a spell. In the case of those abilities, those are innate magical features and do not count against your spell casting limitations when it comes to this very specific rule of how many spells can you cast per turn? Hmm. Um, it just so happens to be that fey touch in this context does not apply in that way. Um, so su- supple ghost or suple ghost. Suple. Um, You are right. The player is wrong um, on this one. There is no question about that.
0: <laughs> Celebrate.
1: Um, however, there is a space as a game master, and we've talked about this lots of times in the past in the, in the podcast, where... Um, you can allow for these things. You can say, you know what? I like it. It's, got, it's more fun to let you do it than it is to let you not do it. You
0: could give them boots of Misty Stab. Uh,
1: yeah. There, there are all sorts of ways you can allow this for this player and this circumstance or any of those things, um, even though the rules don't allow it. So this really comes down to you as a game master. What do you want to allow at your table? If you want to hold to the rules or the raw, the rules as written, um, then absolutely you, you cannot do um, this the way the player has described doing it. Um, but, you know, that player may decide, hey, I don't like that I can't... I, I liked this combination. I really pictured my character come doing this kind of thing. And if you're going to set down a rule that was not my interpretation of the rule, even if it is the rules as they are written... Um, they may not like that that thing. They may not want Faye touched anymore. They may not want to to play that character that way. Mm-hmm. And so you, you still need to stay open, even when you're setting down a, a hard boundary and say, that's not how the rules are, are written. That's not what they say. You may still need to make that a bit of a negotiation with the player where you say, but I understand that was like a fun thing that you were doing. Um, since it's not the rules, let's see if we can figure out some, something different. Um, and, and that might be where you go, I'm going to give you some boots and misty step, and now, it's, now we don't have to worry about that rule, and that rule still applies everywhere else in the game, but your boots allow you to circumvent that rule. Right. Um, or it means that, that I set down a hard boundary, and I say, but you know what? I'm going to make your misty step just for your character extra special. And so you can do this for this one ability, but no other abilities.
0: Everyone else has been Faye touched and you've been grand you've fey-touched. Been grand
1: fey-touched, <laughs> and your Misty Step is not a magic spell, but is an innate ability similar to something like shapeshifting.
0: The fay who touched you was supple.
1: Was, was a <laughs> supple ghost.
0: It was a supple touch.
1: It was a supple touch from a ghost.
0: <laughs> the other thing I was thinking is they might be confusing, because you said... some abilities that aren't actually casting spells, Mm -hmm. they might be confusing it with a Firbolg ability called Hidden Step. Uh, Firbolg. Firbolg? F-I-R-B-O-L-G.
1: I always thought it was Firbolg.
0: Now I don't know.
1: I didn't realize they had a Hidden Step ability. That's fun. It's
0: like one of the most powerful tools they have.
1: I mean, that's awesome.
0: It turns them invisible.
1: Uh, Hidden step says very specifically: as a bonus action, you can magically turn invisible until the start of your next turn, or until you attack, make a damage roll, or some force, or force someone to make a saving throw. Um, you can use this trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. That's an awesome ability. Yeah, it is. Um, the I totally agree. In this case, you are not casting a spell, therefore it does not count against your two spells in a turn. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, specific rule,
0: and it has step in the name, so I could see why it would be confusing.
1: That's a possibility. Um, if that was the case, then then I would totally say it's it's allowed. And this is really where the the distinguishing factor of of many of these pieces come down to. If it says it is a spell and it is cast as a spell, and in fact using the word cast, you cast this spell, almost definitely means you are casting a spell, and therefore it follows all the rules of spell casting. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, the same thing would be true um, for any other part of the spellcasting piece of Misty Step. In other words, Misty Step has a verbal component. If you were silenced, you still could not cast your Misty Step, even though it is granted to you by your Fae Touched.
0: Interesting.
1: Because it still requires you to cast the spell, which still has a verbal component.
0: Now, the boots of Misty Step say... Crafted for the wild and wily, these boots give the wearer the ability to use Misty Step at will.
1: Yeah. And if it does allow you to use Misty Step at will, then you will not be limited to the- You're not casting it. You're not casting the spell. And therefore, unless it says otherwise, you are not um, limited by the silence uh, effect either in being able to cast it. Cool. So there you go.
0: There you go. Well, now that we've talked about a spell and we've talked about boots, let's talk about another spell. Let's use that spell.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, use that spell. There you go. I like it.
0: Uh, I'm going to butcher this one because I've never said it out loud. This spell is id-insinuation.
1: Well, I think that's right, yeah.
0: Okay, id-insinuation from Unearthed Arcana. Um, the source is Unearthed Darkana 66, Fighter, Rogue, and Wizard. It's a first-level enchantment, casting time of one action, range of 60 feet, components V and S, and the duration, a concentration up to one minute. You unleash a torrent of conflicting desires in the mind of one creature you can see within range, impairing its ability to make decisions. The target must succeed on a wisdom-saving throw or be incapacitated. At the end of each of its turns, it takes 1d12 psychic damage, and it can then make another wisdom saving throw. On a success, the spell ends on the target.
1: Wow. Full-on incapacitated.
0: Incapacitated.
1: <laughs> In- incapacitated. <laughs> um, it is quite a few saving throws. Yeah. Um, and it is just one creature. You unleash a torrent of conflicting desires in the mind of one creature you can so, see within range. So they're like,
0: "Uh, what should I do? What should I do? I don't know. I don't know. There's too much stuff happening in the brain."
1: Yeah. Um. And I like that. Uh. Let's see. It's a wisdom saving throw first, then incapacitated, then at the end of each turn, it's one d twelve psychic damage, and then another wisdom saving throw. Right. So you do it on your turn.
0: You do it on your turn, and when it's the creature's turn. Again, they don't make one at the beginning.
1: Yeah, they make it at the they end make of it their... at the
0: end of their turn. So they take the damage first, and then make it at the end.
1: Now, the the crazy thing about incapacitated is that the effect of incapacitated is an incapacitated creature can't take actions or reactions. Whoa! So really powerful in the in the sense of like you you don't stop them from moving. Um, so it's not as powerful as like a paralyzed or a petrified. But if they
0: had a reaction. Um,
1: but they cannot basically make any attacks or cast most spells, which is pretty powerful as a as an effect. If you compare this to, you know, some other level one um crowd control effects, this is definitely Pretty powerful. I mean, it's it's definitely worthwhile.
0: And one d twelve is nothing to sneeze at at it's, first level. It's
1: nothing to sneeze at, especially that you can get it for a single spell slot. So long as they keep failing their save again and again for up to a minute, which is potentially a whole lot of damage that you could be stacking on. Now it is a wi- wisdom saving throw, which depending on the on the thing right. that you're attacking, could be a pretty high saving throw. Um, but it could also be really love you're you're using it on a um on like a creature that isn't very intelligent or or anything like that might not have a very high wisdom save yeah, this is a great spell it's really powerful i it's interesting that it's about impairing its ability to make decisions i'm mm-hmm. sure there's a there's a lot of psych jokes in here somewhere about it being you know an id insinuation is is like um, here follow follow all your desires all at once.
0: right exactly.
1: is sort of the the concept here, which is really interesting as a from a psych perspective. This is cool. I think it's just straight up a good spell. I think it's powerful. Um, I think it has some limitations of being like you know single target and having a lot of saves and and that might mean that like it doesn't come up it, it, it isn't quite as useful as you might want it to be, but for a first level spell, yeah, a like slam dunk.
0: I'd have it in my spell book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This would be a great. I'm actually kind of sad it's not a, a bard spell, because um, only lists uh, sorcerer, warlock, and wizard. Um, so bards could get it, but they'd have to get it through a uh, uh, like a uh, an extra expanded spell book thing. Hmm. Um,
0: but that would be fun if you're like playing a song.
1: It feels in- like this is like a like let let me describe all the delicious foods or whatever that you could be eating right now and like. And like, oh no! I want to eat all those foods. I'm, oh. I'm like slammed with indecision.
0: Yeah, I was thinking it was like the hokey pokey, but you're like, put your left hand in, put your right foot in, put your left arm in, put your do this, you know. And you're like, ah, like I too can't. too many things There's to
1: do. <laughs> all so, of them are in. <laughs> I think I think the the Id insinuation idea is that it's about all about desires. Like, what are what are all of your desires all at once, and now you can't make a decision because it's because all of your desires sort of laid bare in front of you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the hokey pokey thing's really good. <laughs> there used to be a 3.5 spell called um, uh, Puppeteer, oh. where literally the the target had to follow your movements, but it was like a puppet, so they they could like re- try to resist against it and stuff like that. Absolutely hilarious spell that I used many times as my bard back in back in college um, to to do some of the most completely ridiculous things to some other player, uh, some NPCs. That was so much fun.
0: <laughs> Did you ever sing Bye 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 when you were doing that?
1: No, though that would have been really good. <laughs> I definitely puppeteered a soldier and then used ventriloquism to make it sound like I was speaking as him, uh, and then had him like salute somebody with like puppeteer <laughs> movements and stuff, and then like walk down the uh, the, the hallway like a <laughs> Muppet, which was pretty hilarious.
0: <laughs> so. I just it reminds me of Ted Lasso where he's like, oh sure that. Song came out on the Puppet Master album, and that's why it's like marionettes, it's like puppets.
1: Uh, oh. <laughs> pretty great,
0: pretty good.
1: Well, there you go. You listen to another great recording, another masterful podcast. This
0: has been another chunk of time. <laughs> another that we took up,
1: general chunk of time taken Gen- up by us. General chunk of time. <laughs> so, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions. Uh, If you were the people who submitted questions.
0: If you weren't, come on. Yeah. What up? What up? Get on it. You
1: probably have some questions. And you can send those questions to us by going to our website at nextsessionpodcast.com.
0: You can also uh, check us out on Facebook at The Next Session and on Instagram at Next Session Podcast.
1: So I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. Tune in next time and we'll help you prep for your next session. Goodbye.